Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. With our gospel reading in mind, our sermon text for this Ash Wednesday is from the the first book of Samuel, the 16th chapter. This verse, For the Lord does not see as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearances, but the Lord looks at the heart. This is our text, dear Christian friends. During one of his political presidential campaigns, a delegation called on Theodore Roosevelt at his, at his house in Oyster Bay on Long Island. The president met with the delegation with his coat off, the sleeves rolled up, seemingly ready to do some good, hard, honest work, the kind that would impress a delegation. Gentlemen, he said, come with me. Come with me to the barn and we'll talk while I do some work. At the barn, Roosevelt picked up a a pitchfork. And he looked around for the hay that he expected to find. And seeing none of it, he called out to his assistant. He said, John, where's all the hay? And the presidential page replied from up in the hayloft. He said, I'm sorry, sir, I haven't had time to, to toss it back down again after you pitched it all up here when the delegation from Indiana was here. You know what they say about appearances. They can be deceiving. And it's no stretch of the truth to say that sometimes we rather like them that way. Sometimes we rather want appearances to be deceiving. Indeed, it's one of our foremost fallen flaws. We want desperately and will do what it takes to justify ourselves in the eyes of others. Meanwhile, we incriminate ourselves in the eyes of God. That's sinful human nature. Knowing man's short-sighted capacity only to see and judge by the outward appearances, we dress ours up, don't we, and we tidy them up. We polish them up. We magnify them. And all the while, we're really no different than that wizard from Oz. You know the the wizard from the classic story of the same title, that wizard of Oz. We're no different than he. A small man with many faults, hiding behind an impressive front. As we consider things tonight on this stark and this solemn day of Ash Wednesday, it's amazing to think just how far we go, isn't it? It's amazing to think how far we go to make sure that our fellow man sees the outward appearance, to see the one that we want him to see. We start by hiding away the unimpressive. We sweep it under the metaphoric rug. We tuck it away. We tuck away our unimpressive faults and qualities under the bed. We stash them away in the darkness of the closets of our lives. The dirt and and the dingy laundry of life we hide away and we carry on sometimes, don't we, self-righteously? As if there were really none to speak of at all? We want the company in our lives to think that our house is always this clean and tidy. We want them to be impressed by what they see. The outward appearance, all the while hoping desperately that they don't look under the rug or under the bed or in life's closet. We put it out of sight hoping then it'll stay out of sight, and two, then it'll stay out of mind. 
And sometimes trying so hard to convince others, don't we even convince ourselves? Don't we even convince ourselves that if we should mark iniquities, if we should survey the sinful clutter and the garbage of our life, if, as the psalmist says, we should mark iniquities, we convince ourselves we wouldn't be so bad off, at least compared to what we see in another. And so we minimize our iniquities, sometimes convincing even ourselves that outwardly what you see is inwardly what you get. And so that's what we go about doing. We first tuck away our imperfections out of sight, and then we construct our false fronts. Why? Because we long to be justified by our peers. We long to be validated by the outward appearance. And how do we do that? In many ways, perhaps though, it's in the way that we heard Christ speak about in our gospel reading this evening. Maybe it's in that we don't want to be the only one to know just how big the sum is on the alms that we give, the offering of our charitable contribution. We might just enjoy knowing that someone's going to see it and be impressed by it. See, that's our fallen human nature, our nature that wants to validate ourselves in the eyes of our peers, our nature that so likes it then to, to bow the head a little bit lower in prayer and, and make the prayers a bit longer and fold our hands in prayer a bit tighter and show with our disfigured faces that our work before God is just a bit tougher, at least a bit more consistent than that which we see in another. We like people to know. But friends, who's really fooling whom? For whom are we tossing the hay? Our facades are just fig leaves, aren't they? And nothing more than fig leaves. They're fig leaves that we, like fallen Adam and Eve, fig leaves that we sew together to cover our fallen condition, just like they did to cover theirs. The condition that they didn't want to face up to. The condition that they perhaps convinced themselves that they could hide from others with a bit of stitched foliage. A condition that somehow they thought they could hide from God. But as we heard in our sermon text, God does not see as man sees. He's not fooled by our veneers, He's not fooled by our fig leaves. Even if we ourselves have come to the point that we don't see it, having become so disillusioned about ourselves by the stuff that we're peddling to others, even if we don't see it, God sees rightly. And He will have us see rightly too, and that's what the law of God does. The law of God that hits us so firmly and squarely on this penitential Ash Wednesday the law strips away the veneers and tears down the fig leaves and stands us naked, and uncomfortably so, naked in front of the mirror of truth. And we don't like what we see. And God sees all the way down into the heart, and this is what He says in Scripture of our hearts. In Genesis, he says, every inclination of man's heart is evil. And even from his youth. In the prophets, he says, the heart is deceitful above all things and it's desperately wicked. 
And so it's no wonder that in, the, in Matthew, our Lord himself tells us from the heart then, precede these evil thoughts and murders, adulteries and fornications and thefts and false witnesses and blasphemies, those very things that we try so hard to cover up with our veneers and our fig leaves. We live life, don't we, banking on the fact that others can't see our heart. But God sees the heart. Every corner and every far recess of it, He sees it. Today we wear that sinful heart of ours, as it were, on our sleeves. Or as many do within the church, in fact, wear them Wear it on their foreheads in the shape and the mark of an ashen cross. But whether worn on our hearts or sleeves or on our foreheads, the penitential ash, it doesn't lie. But we don't even necessarily need ashen crosses on our brows to remind us of that which the pill bottles in our medicine cabinets remind us of, and the medical insurance bills remind us of, and the doctor's office co-payments remind us of all of these things including the aches and pains when we go to sleep and when we rise in the morning and all throughout the day, all of these things, they preach to us the scriptural truth that every one of us, because of the sin that is within these hearts of ours, every one of us is returning to the dust from whence we came. Our Lord says it. Dust we are, and unto dust we shall return. God knows the heart. He knows us through and through. But God is good. And He takes no pleasure that anyone should remain in His sin. And so in love, He calls us to repentance. He calls us to drop the charade He calls us to undo the fig leaves. He bids us, as we heard tonight in in the Old Testament reading, He bids us, turn to me, He says. Turn to me with all your heart. Not for public spectacle, not for the sake of outward appearance, but remember what He said? Rend your heart and not your garments. Rend your heart which God alone can see and not your garments which all can see, rend your heart, he says, and not your garments. Not on the street corner of outward appearance so that all can see, but rather in the privacy of the room. And in the secret chambers of your heart, here, friend, here come before him in due in our deepest penitential posture. For down deep we know who we are, and therefore we dare not We dare not enter the courtroom of confession. And before God who judges, we dare not enter with loud and lofty sacrifices and long prayers and obviously disfigured faces. These things, they fool men, but they do not impress God. No, there is only one way that the guilty does stand before the judge. And that's with a broken and with a contrite heart. But thank God that he is patient. Thank God that he is indeed merciful. Thank him that he is slow to anger and that his heart, his heart is ever abounding 
in steadfast love. It's as the psalmist says, He has not dealt with us according to our sins. And He has not punished us according to our iniquities. It's good for us to be confronted with the dark ash of this Wednesday and of the Lenten season. But you know well that it's not a mark of sin that remains. You go home tonight forgiven. You go home tonight pardoned of all of the guilt of all of your sins. None of your sin then in the guilt of it remains. Just like it will for those who bear the penitential ash upon their brows today. They can go home with the same confidence that you and I can. They go home and they wash their foreheads clean. And they can do it honestly. Honestly, just like you and I leave here honestly, knowing full well that God in Christ has dealt with all of the ash of our hearts. He's dealt with it. He's dealt with it. How did he do it? He transferred it. Transferring ash reminds me of a party trick that a family member of mine once used to show us kids when we were a bit younger. Older now, it's not so impressive. But as kids, we we thought it was amazing. He would take some ash and mark the back of one of his hands and then in that in that time, in between the necessary time for every sleight-of-hand trick, he would, and as, as we kids would look on, he would transfer that ash, he would impress that ash onto his other hand, and, and it would disappear from the one hand, and there appear on the other. He transferred it. The ash of our lives has been transferred too. And it is no charade. It's no trick. As surely as God lives, it has been transferred. With all of us looking on, Christ of Calvary took all that we are and all that we have tried so hard to hide, the dirt from under every rug and every bed and in every dark closet of life, and He transferred it all to Himself. And indeed, he has dealt with it when on the cross he died with it. That's what our God does. He deals with sin's ash. He covers sin's nakedness. It's what he did from the beginning. Adam's fig leaves and Eve's, they failed to hide sin's nakedness and shame. They then stood exposed. But God in his kindness... And mercy provided the covering that Adam and Eve so needed. How did he do it? Scripture tells us. Tells us that he covered their nakedness with tunics of skin skin that he himself provided. And he's done it ever since. For us too. But not simply to shelter us from cold nights and weather's hostility. But indeed, he's done it to shelter us from the hostility of hell's eternity. He did it when God made him, as we heard tonight, who knew no sin. 
to become ours. For us, He transferred it all so that in Him we might be covered too. Before any outward marks of sin would be forever wiped away or tonight washed away, we come to the Lord's table where He cleanses the inward and here transfers to us all that we're not, but all that He is, life and salvation. God grant that throughout this Lenten season we approach Him with contrite hearts, with hearts contrite and yet with hearts confident that Christ indeed does make us clean. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.